0: LifeLock alerts
1: you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder,
0: and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for
1: insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
0: September 10th, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor
2: Noah, Ears Edition.
0: Tuning in. Thank you for coming out. So much, I'm loving it. I'm Trevor Noah. Our guest tonight is the president of Microsoft, here with a new book about the promise and perils of the digital age. Brad Smith is joining us, everybody. <laughs> also on tonight's show, someone is trying to kill Simba. Your phone sucks now, and someone is leaving the White House, but it's not who you hope. So let's catch up <laughs> on today's headlines. Let's kick it off with the big news of the day. No modern president has lost as many cabinet officials or senior advisors in their entire first term as Trump has in his first 30 months. It's a record, and now he's just running up the score.
1: Major announcement today by President Trump on Twitter that he has fired his national security adviser, John Bolton. This is the tweet. I informed John Bolton last night that his services are no longer needed at the White House. I disagreed strongly with many of his suggestions, as did others in the administration. And therefore, I asked John for his resignation, which was given to me this morning. That's right, Trump has
0: fired John Bolton as his national security advisor. And really, it's no surprise because Bolton was just too hawkish for Trump. His solution to every situation was bombs. What do you think about North Korea? Bombs. What do you do with Iran? Bombs. What do you get Mike Pence for Secret Santa? Bombs. Yo, yo, you need to leave, man. And by the way, Bolton was the third national security advisor Trump has pushed out. Honestly, it's amazing that America's unemployment numbers are so low, considering Trump has fired half of the country. (laughs) But yes, John Bolton is out, and to mark the occasion, his mustache was lowered to half mast. (laughs) A very, very sad day for the nation. Now, in a normal White House, a transition like this would be presented very smoothly. But because Donald Trump is a messy bitch who lives for drama, (laughs) Things are going down a little differently.
2: President Trump says he asked for his resignation, but Bolton is pushing back. He says he offered to resign last night. In John Bolton
0: just texted me. Oh, Just now, <laughs> he's watching. Can you and read it? He, yeah, he said, uh, let's be clear, I resigned. And I said, do you mind if I say that while you were talking? And he wrote, yes. So John Bolton has just told me, texted me, to said, I resigned. Ooh, shit just got real. Trump says he fired Bolton, but Bolton is like, ah, no, I quit, and you're trying to take credit for me quitting. Yeah, this actually makes me wish that hurricanes could talk, yeah? (laughs) So Hurricane Dorian could have clapped back at Trump last week. Dorian is totally gonna hit Alabama and be like, bitch, I wasn't going nowhere near Alabama. (laughs) Yeah, but keep talking and I'm gonna come over there and blow that weave off your head. (laughs) Now, with Bolton gone, the question is, Who will be the next to leave? Nobody knows. But it was super weird today that when Trump fired Bolton, Melania tried to sneak out with him. She was like, (laughs) oh no, so sad to be fired. I'm also going. (laughs) All right, moving on to some technology news. If you just bought a brand new iPhone today, you stupid.
2: (laughs) Apple unveiling its latest set of iPhones today. This is what the new iPhone 11, iPhone 11 Pro and iPhone 11 Pro Max look like. Apple also unveiling its new Apple Watch Series 5 and its Apple TV Plus streaming service. That service will be available beginning in November for $4.99.
0: Man, Apple is not messing around. They've already taken over phones, all right? Now they're trying to take over watches. They're launching TV shows. They're trying to take over video games. Yeah, next year, Popeyes, watch out. They're gonna come out with a chicken sandwich. (laughs) Yeah. It's gonna be like, oh, it's so delicious. I just wish the battery lasted longer. (laughs) Now, of course, the big product this year is the iPhone 11, which also comes in Pro and Pro Max, which I think used to be called Plus and XS, I think. Like, it's horrible for consumers to keep up with. And it's gonna mess up how kids learn to count. Yeah, it's like seven, eight, 10S, 10R, 11 Pro. You're like, what comes after that? You're gonna have to wait till next year. <laughs> oh, and the highlight, the highlights of the latest iPhone is that it now has three cameras. Yeah, which is super advanced, because you see, the top and the side lens combine separate angles to take the best composite photo, and then the bottom lens takes a picture of how you really look, and it's just like, oh, you nasty. <laughs> All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. Since Donald Trump became president, there have been a few major policies that have defined his time in office. Immigration, trade tariffs, and of course, his push to add Colonel Sanders to the Supreme Court. But there's another set of Trump's policies that haven't really gotten as much attention, and it has to do with killing animals.
2: The Trump administration has lifted an
1: Obama-era ban on importing trophies from elephants killed in two African countries. The Trump administration says it'll issue a permit to a Michigan trophy hunter so he can import
2: the skin, skull, and horns from a rare black rhinoceros he shot last year in Africa. The administration dismantled an existing wildlife trafficking council and now has been replaced by 16 individuals. They are mostly trophy hunters. We all know that
1: the Trump family, uh, the two Trump sons were pictured as big game hunters, that they're fans of the sport.
0: That's right, Donald Trump has made it much easier for people to hunt endangered animals in Africa, which I guess for him is a total win-win, right? First, he gets to reverse something Obama did, which he loves. And secondly, it means two of his least favorite children will be spending more time on the other side of the world. (laughs) Trump is like, have fun in Africa, boys, (laughs) bye-bye. By the way, I I can't think of a more embarrassing way to die than being killed by Don Jr. or Eric Trump. (laughs) Like, if I was a lion and they killed my husband, I would just lie about how it happened. Yeah, that line would be like, "How did your husband die?" It would be like, "Oh, uh, it was a skydiving accident." <laughs> like, wait, lions can skydive? No, apparently not. No. no, no. <laughs> and you may be asking, you may be asking, Trevor, why is trophy hunting still even a thing in 2019? Well, let's find out in another installment of "If You Don't Know, Now You Know." As white people have been colonizing Africa, trophy hunting <laughs> has existed as a way for them to bring home souvenirs. And you know, in a way, I feel like us Africans are partly to blame. We should have had a gift shop. We should have had <laughs> a gift shop. But while these pictures may have gone at praise in the 1900s, these days, thanks to show so- social media, the only thing that they generate is outrage. In recent years, the hunting of big cats has sent shockwaves around the globe.
2: Outrage in this country over the killing of a beloved lion in Zimbabwe by an American hunter. This
1: photo from an African trophy hunt has sparked outrage across the country.
0: That same fire reignited when a trophy hunting couple posed kissing over the corpse of a lion they had just slain. I'm sorry, man, this is, this is just disgusting. You killed an animal for fun and then you make out next to its dead body? Is this, is this like a fetish? <laughs> no, I honestly wonder this. Like, like, is this like a thing just for lions or do they do this every time there's a dead animal? Like, like every time they see roadkill on the highway, <laughs> is this couple just like, honey, pull over. I'm so turned on right now. <laughs> it's also disrespectful. Like, imagine if it happened the other way around, yeah? Like, at a family funeral, all of a sudden, just, like, two lions popped out and started humping at your dad's coffin. Just like... (laughs) Yeah, you wouldn't be happy with that. And what's interesting, what's interesting about trophy hunting is that we all assume people do it because they don't care about the animals, but according to the hunting community, they do this because they care too much. I know it sounds contradictory, but... Hunters love animals.
2: Hunters are the ones that are giving so much back to preserving these wild species.
0: A lot of people talk about conservation, but hunters are the real um, conservationists.
2: Everybody thinks that the easiest part is pulling the trigger, and it's not. That's the hardest part. But you've gained so much respect and so much appreciation for that animal.
0: Wow, that's one hell of a way to show your appreciation and respect. Imagine if your boss called you into his office and was like, Johnny, I want to let you know how much I appreciate and respect your hard work. (laughs) And that's why it's my privilege. (laughs) And by the way, did you notice how that other woman arranged her lions? Like, did you see that? I don't care if you hunt or not, that's just creepy. Like, look at that, it it looks like she shot the lions and then said, make it look like they're about to have sex and then make that deer look like it's watching. (laughs) Now, oh. Another argument trophy hunters use is that they're actually getting rid of the slower, weaker animals who are holding back the rest of the herd. But that might not be the full story.
1: Trophy hunters kill some of the biggest, most magnificent animals, which is bad for the health of the species because genes may no longer be passed on to future generations. By taking those guys out of the gene pool, it weakens the genes of the entire population. So over the last 30 years, the average size of a male lion has dropped specifically because of trophy hunting.
0: That's right, despite what they say, trophy hunters actually like to target the strongest specimens, which I don't support, but honestly, I mean, I understand. It's called trophy hunting for a reason. Yeah, you want it to look like you battled an alpha male to the death, not like you snuck into its nursing home and then smothered one of the lions with a pillow, just like, (laughs) Go to sleep, Scar, go to sleep. (laughs) Actually, if you think about it, this is the one time in the animal kingdom where it pays to be out of shape. Like, I wonder if there's one fat ass lion who's just like, yeah, who's laughing now? (laughs) No one asked me to the prom, but at least I'm not in a picture with Don Jr. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the main arguments, one of the main arguments trophy hunters give is that their hobby helps local villages. But upon closer inspection, That's not necessarily true. Critics
1: question whether countries that promote trophy hunts manage that money properly.
2: A 2013
1: report found that just 3% of hunting revenue ends up in local
2: communities. In Zimbabwe, corruption and bloated bureaucracy prevent much of the money from helping those in need. How much money does the community get at the moment?
1: They're getting nothing, absolutely nothing.
2: Yeah, you see the truth is unfortunately,
0: the money from these hunts doesn't go to these communities. Oftentimes, it stays at the top with the people who run the trophy hunting game. To be honest, most of these claims don't add up for me, you know, because another thing hunters love to say is, it's not just the money. They always say that their hunting provides meat for the local villagers. Yeah, because apparently before the white hunters came, all Africans could do was just look at the animals. Yeah, (laughs) Africans were just like, oh, look at the meat inside that buffalo, huh? (laughs) If only there was a way to get inside it, ah. I guess we'll just have to wait for the white man to show up one day, ah, uh, one day. <laughs> so that's trophy hunting in a nutshell. And as weak as the arguments for it may seem, there will always be people who are convinced that it's actually a good thing, which made us think if it's working so well for Africa, maybe it's only fair that we let America enjoy some of those benefits.
2: Dear America, for the past few decades, you have come to Africa to shoot our animals. And you say you do this to help us. We are so grateful, we want to return the favor. You see all of these stray dogs and cats that are running across your country? I'm going to kill them. That's right. As part of a new program, rich Africans will pay to hunt stray dogs and cats in America. And for every dog we shoot, a portion of the profits will go to American communities. Up to 3%. And I know what you are thinking. What about my pets? I'm going to kill them too. Yes, pets that have reached old age will also be hunted by rich Africans. No more watching Fluffles struggle to climb the stairs. Instead, Fluffles will be shot and mounted in a Nigerian's man cave. And here's the best part. After we shoot the dog, we will donate the carcass so that no more American children go without school lunch. It's a win-win. Oh, what a cute dog. You get a head start. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to kill it.
0: You're welcome, America. Roy Wood Jr., we'll be right
2: back.
0: The show. My guest tonight is the president of Microsoft and a co-author of the new book Tools and Weapons: The Promise and the Peril of the Digital Age. Please welcome Brad Smith. the show. Thank you, Trevor. Let's jump straight into it. Tools and weapons, the promise and the peril of the digital age. That really sounds like the two extremes of how people think about technology, tools and weapons. Why did you choose that title?
1: Well, it is because that is exactly what digital technology has become. Think about it as a tool. We use it in our daily lives. Artificial intelligence will probably help us find a cure for cancer. Right. But at the same time, think about the challenges for our privacy, the threats to security. Think about the future. We need to think about both sides of the equation. And fundamentally, I think we need to recognize across the tech sector that if your technology changes the world, you have to step up. You have to assume a responsibility to help address the world you've helped to create.
0: That's an interesting dilemma we have to think of. So like, the robots can cure cancer by killing us. Well, then there'd be no First cancer. Point. There'd just be like... That, 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 that seems like logic. Like, the robot's like, now there's no cancer. And you're like, oh, I, I thought you guys were gonna cure it. The robot's like, ah, oh, that's too much work. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it seems like tech is everything. And what's interesting in the book is how you break it down into different spheres. For instance, you talk about AI and the ethics of AI. At Microsoft, you guys are getting into AI now, but do you think AI has the potential to become evil, or is that just something that people say to scare us from moving into the future?
1: Well, in a way, any tool can be turned into a weapon. You know, a broom can be used to sweep the floor or hit you over the head. That's my mom, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Think about now any tool that's so much more powerful. You know, we're empowering machines to make decisions that throughout history could only be made by people. Right. So if we don't develop now the kinds of ethical principles needed to guide this, then we should be worried about where technology is going to go. And so the time to really be upfront, to confront this reality is early. And that's what we and and many others are trying to do.
0: It's interesting that you say, you know, figure out the ethics and the rules now, because many people are calling for regulation when it comes to tech. I mean, we're seeing social media companies coming under fire. We're seeing Silicon Valley being scrutinized in a different way. You are one of the few tech leaders, though, who's saying there should be more regulation on tech companies, which it seems like it's it's a paradox to what you're doing. Why would you say more regulation?
1: Well, in a sense, from a long-term perspective, you have to have a balance. You have to sustain the public's trust. And the best way to sustain the public's trust is actually to solve problems that worry people, to have companies do more, but to actually have the government play an important role as well. If you just look at the history of technology over time, which my co-author, Carol Ann Brown, and I really tried to do, What you see is this recurring pattern. And until government gets involved in a smart way, in a Mm -hmm. balanced way, things get more worrisome. And ultimately, even the industries that create products suffer.
0: What's interesting about governments getting involved in tech is that whether they like it or not, tech is going to get involved in governments. You know, we've seen around the world uh, countries like North Korea, countries like Russia building up um, weapons that they use to hack into different countries—you know, whether it's their power grids, mm-hmm. whether it's their nuclear reactors, whether it's their elections—when you look at how countries can protect themselves, a is it possible, and b is enough being done in the U.S.?
1: I think it's possible, but we're not doing enough. Yeah, you know, we share the stories about how we started dealing with hacking of email in 2016 with Hillary Clinton's campaign, right? We talk about how that is spread around the world, about how we're all across the tech sector doing more to fight disinformation. I think the thing that should worry us the most is potential tampering with voting, especially voting machines that are 15 years old. Imagine what it would be like next November to find that someone is elected president with, say, three states where the votes were close. And then imagine if we woke up a week later and found that a foreign government had hacked voting machines and some of the votes cast had never been cast at all by americans right and we couldn't put it back together that would be a disaster to our social order and so the time to really try to bring people together across political parties uh-huh. to bring tech companies together with people in government is now not a week after our elections go off the rails so i mean we have
0: the weapons really in the spotlight right now. We have a lot of people afraid of technology, a lot of people worried about their security, a lot of people worried about their privacy. You do pivot in the book to talk about the tools, and one of the major areas you speak on is rural broadband. Why is that such a major issue in your eyes? I mean, like, people don't even think of rural areas and not having broadband
1: or having broadband, but why do you think that's such a big deal? I think it is so much bigger than we recognize as a country, because we get out to these rural communities and the first thing you remi- remember is that really broadband is like electricity to the 21st century, what it means for education, what it means for healthcare, increasingly what it means for businesses. And so we go out to these communities where unemployment rates are high, mm-hmm. where people feel left behind, and then you realize they feel left behind because in many ways they are. And you know, a great example was going to a county in eastern Washington state, biggest business has about 170 people who work there, until just two months ago when we brought new technology to them. They were running the entire business on a single copper line that basically had the same bandwidth that was about a quarter as fast as just about everybody who watches this show. You're trying to run an entire business that way. Until you bring broadband, you can't bring jobs. And until you can bring jobs, you can't bring hope. So if we actually want to bring this country back together, you have to think about how we can use technology as a tool to help us solve some of the biggest problems that really confront us.
0: Well, luckily, there's a man in the White House who doesn't listen to any advice. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Tools and Weapons is available now. A fascinating look at the world of tech. Brad Smith, everybody.
1: or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 2024 Santa Fe, available early 2024. Join us
0: today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.